This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra. This time, I'm not going to talk about contemporary events. I'm going to talk about the future in a kind of science fiction way. By this time, I have finished four novels about the future. And this is how the first one begins. It's a prologue named Meat. Somewhere between unconscious life and total death, a distance not too far, the meat existed without knowing. If there was light anywhere, or if there had ever been light in the dark fluid around it, the meat had no awareness of it. If there had been odors, or tastes, or sounds, the meat was not responding. All motion was random and uncontrollable. Time and gravity did not exist. The meat had no awareness of itself. It did not even know that it was alive. That's the prologue. Then in the first chapter, we meet my hero. When I wrote the first book, I didn't really know that I was going to continue with this same hero. His name is Leo Torres, and he lived in a great city, New York City, at a time when capitalism had run its course, when the air was no longer breathable, and the water was no longer drinkable, when wars were no longer avoidable, and the people had at last said that they had to have something else. And no government had been formed. A coalition of revolutionaries and the Greens, the environmentalists, had come to power. The police had been disbanded, the armies had been disbanded, small militias were running things all over the country and in every section of every city. But as I said, the only order was the people's will for something better. And they were guided somewhat by the revolutionaries in a party called the Progressive Party and the Greens. Now Leo Torres was a street kid who just happened upon the Progressive Party and joined and began to switch his feelings from daily survival to daily revolutionary activity as he saw that the only way for everyone to survive was by this revolution. He was not a leader, not by any means. But one day, during the period when everything was up for grabs, he happened to be with a group that were complaining about a strike that was taking place. A strike was taking place in a factory, and they went to the board of directors that happened to be meeting. They were there confronting the board of directors when something happened outside and all the young revolutionaries decided they should leave. But Leo, being one of the young ones, 
was just told to stay there. And as they were leaving, one of them told Leo, don't let them leave. So Leo stood at the door and prevented the board members from leaving. Unfortunately, they were determined to leave anyway, and they tried to push their way past him. Leo felt that in order to carry out his assignment, he had to use his knife, and he ended up slaying the board. Up to that time, the Progressive Party had not done any violent acts. The entire revolution was nonviolent. Leo was the first person to draw blood, and he drew a lot of it because he killed the entire board of this big corporation. When he came down outside the building to the big rally of the strike, he was covered with blood. The whole thing was on video, or he was on video, and he suddenly found himself a hero of the revolution. The leaders of the Progressive Party, of course, did not approve of what Leo had done, but the people did. The people felt that that particular moment was the moment of turnaround, the moment that the revolution began to succeed. So Leo Torres became very popular. And as I said, he was not a leader. And he did not at first adjust to his fame and popularity. And the Progressive Party really didn't know what to do with him. As my first novel begins, he gets his first assignment. He is to go to a faraway place called Sasakwa, Oklahoma. Sasakwa is a ghost town, by the way. It's 12 miles north of Ada, where I was born. He takes a train to Ada, and his assignment is to go to Sasakwa, where there is a certain psychologist who is running a certain laboratory based on the idea of sensory deprivation. This is an old idea from the 60s. Only this particular doctor had carried it much further. And he had actually been putting people into large canisters and depriving them of all senses, making uh, random motions and keeping them there until they either died or completely lost control of all of their functions. Then, if they lived through it, they would be people with erased memories and, the doctor felt, erased trauma. They would be, in effect, grown people with new baby brains. And he wanted to continue his work. And he had applied to continue burning fossil fuels in order to keep his laboratory running, but the Progressive Party had, and the Greens had made a moratorium against all fossil fuel burning because the world was on the verge of death for everyone. So Leo's assignment was to go to the Sasakwa and determine what to do about this doctor. He had to ride a bicycle to get there 
He'd never ridden a bicycle before. He'd never been in that kind of heat. He'd never seen that kind of bright sunshine in the darkness of the city where he had lived. But he had to adjust to some extent. And he began to have a series of adventures pertaining to whether or not this psychologist was going to get to use fossil fuels. He soon ran into the local militia, and they were quite, uh, quite a, an outlaw band. They were enforcing the moratorium against fossil fuels simply by locking up or shooting anybody that tried to burn fossil fuels. And they were traveling on horseback. Leo soon found that he had to travel on horseback. And this is when I began to have trouble with the novel because I don't know a heck of a lot about riding horseback. I did it when I was a teenager and back in Ada, Oklahoma, but I didn't ride a lot and I certainly didn't know anything about it. So in order to continue the novel, I had to talk about Leo's learning how to ride a horse and go with the militias and try to tame the militias, try to get to stop them from killing this psychologist. By the way, his name was Dr. Johns. And the first person that Leo meets when he draws near Sasakwa is named Jane Early, a very strange woman with white hair, an extremely bleached look. And she is the most curious person he has ever known in that she just can't stop asking questions constantly. She asks him everything that could possibly be asked about the progress of the revolution. And in this way, I explain what I know about the idea of the revolution, having Leo try to answer the questions from Jane Early. I don't know if I want to tell you how it comes out. You can read the whole thing for free. It's on my personal website, lilyscola.us. I'll spell it out. Lilyscola is Danish for little school. L-I-L-L-E-S-K-O-L-E dot U-S. Lilyscola dot U-S. Well, Leo has personal problems. There's a love story, a couple of love stories. There's uh, adventure. There's horseback riding. And there's a deep philosophical rift between Leo representing the revolution as it goes on and the psychologist. Because you see, the reason this psychologist wants to erase people's knowledge is that he does not believe any revolution is possible. He says if you look at every revolution that ever happened, in his opinion, they all failed. He doesn't blame anything else. He blames it on the nature of humankind. And he says the only way you can have a successful revolution is to have it led by the people that he makes over. Since most of his patients have died, Leo learns that there's only one alive, and she is Jane Early. Jane Early is the first success 
of Dr. Johns. They kind of go back and forth. Leo's not a good arguer. He's more of a listener. But he argues a little bit with Dr. Johns, and he says, well, the revolution is underway, and it's our job to, to guide it and take it forward as fast as we can and as well as we can. Dr. Johns says, no, it's doomed to failure. Your only hope is to let me burn fossil fuels and get my lab running again and get some more of these patients for me. He's getting his patients, by the way, from mental uh, institutions, people who have no rights and have, uh, have practically no uh, consciousness. So those are the, the lines that are drawn. The militia group, of course, doesn't want Dr. Johns to turn on any fossil fuels. And in fact, they threaten to kill him if he does. Dr. Johns, on the other hand, insists that his way is the only way to have a successful revolution. And they all come to a head toward the end of the thing. I enjoyed writing this. To me, it's very important discussion as to whether or not people are just so bad that they can never make a revolution and never live well with each other, or whether or not people are intrinsically good and will be able someday to govern themselves in a much better world. I think the world of Star Trek is a model for what we are trying to obtain. But as you know, Gene Roddenberry, who wrote the Star Trek series, never really told us how his world came to be. He defines a world where there are no problems on Earth. Are there no problems in the Federation of Planets, for that matter? And his starships have to go out into the world, out into the universe, to find problems to solve. But how did they get that way? Well, other than being taught by the Vulcans, Gene Roddenberry doesn't tell us. My four novels are an attempt to tell us how things could happen and how people could come to those, to those very good aspects of a great future for humanity. Leo Torres becomes Commissioner Leo Torres. He takes on a couple of other assignments. He eventually is going to get to become uh, something of a leader, something of a representative at a World Congress at which decisions are going to be made. He's not going to find it very easy, and he's going to make mistakes as he goes along. It's going to be rough for him. It's going to be rough for everybody. But that's probably the way things will happen if you think that if you think that humanity is going to have a good future because most sci-fi if you think about it most sci-fi is dystopian isn't it and the human beings destroy the world or they get killed off by aliens or or diseases or something and uh and they never do overcome 
the problems that we have today. Well, in my novels, they do. And my novels are stories about how that might happen. I invite you to read them. They're on lilyscola.us. It's free. I don't even copyright this stuff. I just write it and post it. This is Gene Lance on the Workers Beat Extra.